0: It's time to meet the Muppets, so let's turn on the mic for Muppet Show beginners and experts alike. Come on and join the party
1: that's only just begun. Let's smile for a while. It's time to have
0: some fun. We're taking in a show tonight. Play the music, light the light. Raise the curtain up and then. It's time to meet the Muppets all over again. Go oh, take a break and take a load off. Let's all take a ride in a Muppetastic time machine with Fergie as your guide. So no more hesitation, let's start the episode. Yo, yo, what's good? It is me, Fergie L. Philippe, and this is It's Time to Meet the Muppets, episode 103, or episode 3, however you want to call it. Uh, yeah, this is the Muppet Show Recap Podcast, where every episode we take a different episode and we talk about it. All the things I liked, all the things I might not have liked, and uh, sometimes there's a history lesson, or two. Um, This episode, we're going to be talking about... Star of the stage and screen, Sandy Duncan. Sandy Duncan, Tony, and Emmy-nominated actress uh, for her work on Roots and for her work in the title role of the Broadway revival of Peter Pan, which was about 1979. Uh, She is perhaps mostly known for her work on the sitcom The Hogan Family, where she replaced future Muppet Show guest star Valerie Harper in the lead role. Now, before we get into it, uh, one thing I just want to say real quick, If you haven't already, please head over to wherever you get your podcast, but specifically on Apple Podcasts, and uh, go ahead and give it a subscribe, go ahead and give me a rating, and if you're so obliged to, or if you're so inclined to, what's the proper word? It's inclined. If you feel so inclined, leave me a nice little review. It really helps get the podcast out there. Uh, Recommend it to your friends, recommend it to your colleagues, to your enemies. Everybody loves the Muppets, so just recommend it to anybody you know. Recommend it to the stranger on the street. When you're honking your horn because it's traffic, roll down your window. Hey! Listen, it's time to meet the Muppets. Okay? Mr. Honda CRV. Um, yeah, so just uh, give me give, give some love if you can. This episode we are going to cover a few things. The opening number, A Nice Girl Like Me, and our unofficial introduction to some of the Muppet monsters, and when I say hour, I mean it's time to meet the Muppets, not people who watch the Muppet Show, Uh, how the number Never Smile at a Crocodile was actually the longest Muppet Show sketch to be filmed in the first season, and of course, the infamous banana sketch, as written by the even more infamous Gags Beasley. But, before all of that, a little bit of Muppet history today uh it's gonna be a little bit of history a little bit of um, i don't know what else i'd call it just information um we're gonna actually be talking about the muppet technique as created by jim henson uh and we're gonna be talking about two parts of it today uh the first part i want to cover is the camera technique so in ye old days not really but you know uh when you're looking at puppet shows, even today, um, you will see that there is a puppet stage, right? And it's there purposely for the puppeteers to be hidden. When Jim was first getting into puppetry and was bringing his talents with puppetry uh, over to television, because that was his first love, the camera and the television and the film, he realized that the camera frame is actually a perfect puppet stage within itself. And by using a monitor, he could perfectly angle and uh, perform the puppets in a way that was really fresh and exciting. Jim was an artist and creative first, right? Puppeteering was really just a means to an end. If you read Brian J. Jones' biography of Jim Henson, you'll really uh, see him go in-depth on that concept. And even though it was a means to an end, you know, he he did really love and have a very deep respect for puppetry. But Jim wanted to make film and television show projects. Uh, he wanted to direct. And honestly, this style of puppetry and the way that he was able to construct this form really gave him a lot of creative control. He was able to adjust what he wanted in the picture, even just as a performer. So at the same time, he could direct and perform the shot. And thus, that's how the style of the Muppets were born, and puppetry was honestly revolutionized. Any TV show that you see that has puppets in it, 9 times out of 10 is using the technique that Jim Henson created. The important thing to note about the image that you see on your screen when watching... Uh, these different puppet programs like Sesame Street of the Muppet Show is that the image you are watching is the exact image that the Performers are watching when they are performing to the monitor. This is called a straight scan Whenever puppeteers are talking to each other. They'll be like do you work for a straight scan monitor or a reverse scan monitor? And straight scan means that you are looking at what the camera shoots um, And what's going to be shown on television reverse scan is a mirrored image so In English, (laughs) it means that they're not performing to the idea that when I move right, the puppet moves right. It's flipped. So up is up and down is down. But if I go right, the image is going to go left on the monitor and then vice versa. Really crazy, right? But that's the way it's done. So that's a little bit about the camera technique, getting into the actual puppet performance technique. um, There's actually so much to be said about the specific puppet technique, but the only thing that I'm really going to get into today is the lip sync, um, which is arguably the most important part. Next time you watch The Muppet Show, just take a close look at the puppet's bottom jaw, which is where the performer's thumb would be. Notice how when the puppet is talking, the bottom jaw is really the only thing that is moving and that almost every syllable that is spoken lines up with the movement. That is lip sync technique, which is a vital part to the overall Muppet technique. It's the idea that when you are performing the puppet's mouth, you are only dropping your thumb. And the reason for that is the idea is to make you believe that the puppet is real involves the performer like simulating or copying real human movement as best as they can. So when we talk, we only actually move our bottom jaw. We don't move the top of our head up and down. So the technique needs to reflect that. So if you're curious, uh take a common phrase. I don't know, something like, Fergie L. Philippe is so damn cute, or Meet them up, is the best podcast ever. I'm going to subscribe and rate it five stars right now. You know, something trivial, something, you know, just something random. And go in the mirror, Get your hand up and see if you can line up all of your syllables by having your puppet hand talk and only drop that thumb. It's hilarious because I'm actually doing that right now, which is why I kind of <laughs> said that last statement like that. I am not a master or in any kind of a place to be officially teaching Jim Henson puppet techniques, so please uh, don't, don't just take my advice and run with it. There are plenty of resources where you can look up all of this stuff. As a matter of fact, if you look up... Sesame Street Puppet Workshop uh, on Google. You will find a link to a Facebook video that is open even if you do not have Facebook. And it is an hour and 30-minute masterclass. Taught by Martin P. Robinson, performer of Snuffy and Telly, Jennifer Barnhart, the current Zoe on Sesame Street, and also Cleo on Between the Lines, remember that show, and Matt Vogel, who currently plays Floyd Pepper, Kermit the Frog, Big Bird, Uncle Deadly, and all these different characters. And so the three of them and a group of uh, uh, very lucky individuals um, get to take a crash course on Muppet-style puppetry, and you can watch it from your very own home and take part in it as well. So go ahead and look that up, or if you just want to look up information in general, just look up Muppets Behind the Scenes or How to Perform Puppets on Google, and you will find a plethora of knowledge there. There are uh, various other things to the Muppet Technique that we will cover soon, but for now, I will leave you with that. And that was Muppet History. And now, let's jump into the show. So, we have our theme song, right? And let's just go through the regulars, right? Fozzie's joke. Again, the joke was genuinely good. And maybe I'm overthinking it. I really think I'm overthinking it. But, guys, I don't know if Fozzie should be funny. Fozzie is funny because he's not funny. Or maybe I'm wrong about that. I might have to reconsider how I feel about Fozzie. I don't know. Um, And then at the end, Gonzo drops his mallet. So, he (laughs) uses his head to hit the big O hilarious um we move out of the theme song and we go to uh the introduction kermit as he's introducing the number slightly refers to the opening number as a real bang-up affair and this is where we again unofficially meet crazy harry one of the resident crazies who you can see like loves to blow shit up (laughs) that's literally all his job is he is a i don't know if he's a pyromaniac he just likes explosions and dynamite and tnt that's really his jam. So I don't know what, what what's I don't know what the exact thing for that would be, but but essentially a step up from a pyromaniac. And while this is probably many of our like first appearances, this is actually not his. He first appeared in the Valentine's Day special, um, which was one of the two pilots that was filmed for ABC. Valentine's Day special was first. Um he was originally named Crazy Donald, um, named after Don Celine, who is one of the uh core Muppet Builders, um, who unfortunately passed away um, only a few years later after um, after the first season of Muppet Show. I actually can't remember what specific year. I'll be sure to look that up for you guys next time. Um, but... Um, yeah, he's had a couple of performers kind of rotate through, but his main performer in season one was John Lovelady, the man who was performing lovely full-body humanoid that we talked about last time. Um, this was John Lovelady's, like, character in the first season. Um, but John Lovelady leaves the show up to the first season, and um, Jerry Nelson ends up taking over um, for Crazy Harry. Uh, Jerry... And when we talk about Jerry Nelson, which is going to be soon, because it's it's really important that we talk about um, the fantastic person that, that Jerry was. Um, Jerry stopped performing his characters around 2007 and 2008 due to some health issues. Um, he was diagnosed with cancer around that time. Mostly his Muppet Show characters. He kind of continued to do his Sesame Street stuff. Um for a long while a big part of it was that the Muppets were based in LA um, and Jerry really just didn't like traveling anymore and so they started having conversations about shifting some of his characters to other people and so um, Matt Vogel kind of stepped in um, who I just mentioned Matt Vogel kind of stepped in and started kind of studying under Jerry a lot for a lot of his characters Currently Floyd Pepper, Julia Strange Pork, uh, Lou Zealand, Uncle Deadly. For a little bit of time, he was playing Robin up until he he was cast as Kermit. Um and then on Sesame Street, he plays Mr. Johnson, also known as Fat Blue. Um he plays uh um I'm um, um, the Count Von Count. Um so yeah. Sorry, lost my train of thought. Jerry didn't like Traveling uh, as much it was it was kind of painful and a, and a hassle for him so he uh, started and and the Muppets are were based in L A because this was shortly after Disney bought the Muppets and they relocated over to L A um well not relocated Jim Henson Company was already out there I'm getting lost in the sauce Jerry continued to perform with Sesame Street characters for a few years and then eventually he stopped and Jerry unfortunately passed away in 2012 but all of that to say uh, Matt Vogel now is the performer of Crazy Harry. So, we meet Crazy Harry, who starts, you know, blowing things up, and then eventually, uh, (laughs) Fozzie gets around to actually introducing the opening number, which features our guest star, Sandy Duncan. Moving into the opening number, A Nice Girl Like Me, the song A Nice Girl Like Me is actually the song A Nice Boy Like Me by Barry Manilow, and I provided a link in the show notes just so you could hear the original song. Um... This version with Sandy Duncan is a lot more upbeat. It's a very classic Broadway-style musical number with some great vocals by Sandy, and she also does some really great dancing. Like, her legs are up. Um, the number takes place in a bar with, you know, what I'm imagining they're trying to interpret as a group of undesirables. Um, we have many Muppet monsters in here, many that, if you're following the order of the podcast, you probably have not met. So... We have the Beautiful Day monster, who is the blue monster bartender, um, Sweetums, who we talked about in the last episode. He's kind of hanging out by the back. Uh, we have the full-body humanoid from the last episode as well. Um, that's uh, John Lovelady's character, who was um, Rita Moreno's dance partner in the opening number from the last episode. We have the Mutations, who are those three purple uh, three purple like uh, uh, suit puppets with orange hair. I love the mutations. This was a really, really fun thing. Um, This is not their first appearance. Um, We'll we'll get into that in a second. Um, There are also two bird-like puppets that are kind of hanging out on like a ledge close to the ceiling. One is blue and one is green. Those are actually also frackles. Remember from uh, the first episode, I talked about the frackles that are in the opening number, the blue and the green one. So this blue and green bird-like creature, these are frackles. They also originated in uh, the Great Santa Claus Switch. Um, So yeah, Again, they're also called blue and green Frackle. go figure. Um So, Beautiful Day Monster's first appearance. Beautiful Day Monster is a, is one of like the legendary like original muppet monsters. Um his first appearance was on the Ed Sullivan show. Um his original incarnation was actually used for a test pilot of a commercial that Jim Henson was commissioned to do in the 60s. Uh it was for a series of like food snacks um and th- there were different food snacks called Wheels, flutes, and crowns. Um, Beautiful Day monster was one of three monsters. And uh, these monsters basically terrorized and, and <laughs> stole snacks from people. Um, fun fact. For the wheels portion of the commercial, a certain famous Sesame Street Muppet made his first appearance as the wheel stealer as well. Wheels... Are cookies? I'm guessing you can figure out who this turned out to be. Yes, of course, it is the original Cookie Monster. Um, This test pilot actually never aired, but years later, uh, the Jim Henson Company released the commercial, and I have provided a link to that in the show notes as well. So enjoy; it's actually a really funny commercial. Um, The mutations. Yes, let's get into the mutations. The mutations make their first appearance on the Muppet Show in the Connie Stevens episode, which. Is next. We'll talk about The Order later. I'm a little teed off, but it's okay. Uh, they're, they're some of the only puppets that the Jim Henson Company has created that their mouths don't actually move. Um, the group of the Mutations are obviously a play on the Temptations, and they are meant to um, kind of represent, represent dancers more than singers. They would hire dancers to kind of uh, fill these roles. Um, various number of people have played the Mutations, but... Um, these are definitely like dancer dancers that probably just worked around London that they auditioned. Um uh the only consistent person that worked with the Henson Company as a dancer, as far as I know, is named Graham Fletcher. Uh Graham Fletcher was, uh, a principal dancer with the Royal Ballet for many, many years, um, he would later on get into some of the more crazy suits that they would have, uh, when they do Swine Lake with Rudolf, uh, Rudolf Nureyev. um, he plays the, uh, pig ballerina, um, in the Raquel Welch episode, uh, he plays the spider, um, in the, in that opening number, um, so, yeah, um, So, yeah, those are the mutations. Um, We also in the opening number have three members of the Electric Mayhem, which we have not gotten into. But arguably the Electric Mayhem are some of, if not my favorite Muppet characters of all time. Um, Maybe even my favorite band of all time. Uh Uh-oh that gets dicey, um, uh, we have Dr. Teeth, we have Animal, and we have Zoot, um, w- there are episodes where the full Electric Mayhem come out and perform, and we will get into the minutiae of all of it, because the Electric Mayhem also, uh, there's so many different moving parts to it, there are so many people involved in the Electric Mayhem that pop in and out over the years, and so we'll get into all of that later. So, After the opening number, uh, we get into the backstage plot. The backstage plot this time is the introduction of Fozzie's writer, Gags Beasley. Um, Fozzie asked Kermit for like $5 so he can pay his writer, Gags, whom Kermit has never heard of. (laughs) So Gags Beasley is a bit created by Muppet Show writer Jack Burns. Jack Burns is a comedian famously known for teaming up with Avery Schreiber and briefly with George Carlin. Um, He... Um, was a really famous comedian and writer who uh, ended up writing on the Muppet Show. I think only for one season. Uh, maybe only two. I can't. Yeah, not not long. Um, but one time he hosted Saturday Night Live and he performed a live fleshy—that's puppet talk for human—a fleshy version of Gags Beasley. Um, and even referenced something called the banana sketch. Gags Beasley has never been once, like, seen in a Muppet production, but he's referred to all of the time. Um, Yeah. So that's our introduction to Gags Beasley. The Swedish chef happens. um, He makes donuts by throwing bread in the air and shooting holes in them with a gun. And that's about it. Uh, Kermit then introduces Fozzie, and we get some great banter from Statler and Waldorf. It's right before Fozzie's uh, stand-up. Fozzie comes out and does a few jokes and uh, prompted by Statler and Waldorf's heckling, Fozzie preps to tell the famous banana sketch. Now, we never get to hear what the banana sketch is. As soon as he starts to tell it, we get a shot from backstage and we see Hilda, um, who's the resident costumer for The Muppet Show. She only lasts for one season. She's played by Aaron Oscar. But we see Hilda kind of laughing and saying to Kermit, oh, my gosh, like Fozzie's doing so well. And how the reason why he's doing so well is his writing is so good. And Kermit is like, you know, he doesn't know who Gags Beasley is. Scooter drops by and Scooter and Hilda are like, you don't know who Gags Beasley is? And so Hilda tells Kermit that, you know, he wrote the famous banana sketch. Again, Kermit goes, I don't know what the banana sketch is. Before Hilda can even get the banana sketch out, she starts laughing so hard that she just walks off. Then Fozzie comes off stage and Kermit says, Fozzie, what is the banana sketch? Fozzie makes fun of Kermit for not knowing what the banana sketch is. Fozzie runs off. Kermit then says, I feel like somebody is pulling my leg. Wait, somebody is pulling my leg. It's the great Gonzo. And the great Gonzo comes up from under the table after pulling on, literally pulling on Kermit's leg. And uh, (laughs) it prompts Gonzo to say, you've never heard of the banana sketch. And he starts laughing at him. Kermit yells at him to run away. And this begins our running gag for the episode. Is there a running gag in every single episode of The Muppet Show? We will see. We will see. After that, we go into At The Dance. This one is actually a lot of fun and a bit of a change of pace. We uh, have a tango this time. Uh, There's a great bit at the end where Animal is continually falling on his face from a joke that goes, you know I'm falling for you. And she goes, what can I do? And he goes, get out of the way. And he starts falling on his face. And then he eventually drags his date into it.
1: (laughs)
0: 18 plus um we then go into a sketch uh called inner beauty which is where uh sandy duncan is walking through a park and she sees that sweetums is crying um and she's like why are you crying sweetums is crying because he is ugly uh but sandy convinces him that actually he's beautiful so he becomes convinced that he's beautiful and he kind of runs away happy there's like a whole sequence with muppy again where muppy comes in as a puppet Muppet comes in as a real dog, turns into a puppet, bites Sweetums' hand, runs off as a puppy, he says hi to a flower, the flower wilts this whole thing, after Sandy convinces him that he's beautiful, the puppy licks him, the flower will, You know, goes back to normal, and then yada, yada 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 goes. After Sweetums leaves in a very happy mood because he's no longer ugly... Uh, Sandy walks to the other side of the park and notices Behemoth. And this is our first introduction of Behemoth. If you don't remember, Behemoth is that big, walk-around, yellow, fuzzy character. Behemoth looks really, really, like, angry and upset in this one. But over the years, they really lighten his um, disposition. And I think sometimes they even change his eyebrow colors. He has, like, really stark black ones. And he goes to brown ones sometimes. But she goes to Behemoth and, you know, she's... Automatically like, you know, I know on the outside, you may look ugly, but you know, in the inside, I'm sure there's something very beautiful about her. And it goes to a close up of her and you realize that Behemoth has launched a pie at her face. And a pie is funny. A pie in the face is funny every time it just will never fail. It's always funny every time. Um, so then we get out of the sketch and we go into the UK spot. Reminder, the UK spot, remember in the UK, um, their commercial breaks are shorter, so they have a little bit more time. They often throw in another sketch and another, or another song or something like that. Um, this episode's UK spot is a song called Nobody. Um, this actually was very interesting to kind of go back and listen to because there was something about nobody that felt kind of familiar to me or the style of song felt really familiar. and the reason for that is because nobody is actually a song that was frequently performed by um, minstrel and blackface performer Bert Williams. Now of course, you know, minstrel shows were a incredibly racist and offensive act that was kind of born out of vaudeville, uh, white performers, uh, burning cork rubbing it onto their face to appear black and either putting on red lipstick or um, any other kind of color. And essentially they would make fun of the African-American race, um, calling Black people lazy, um, ignorant, stupid, dumb. Uh, and there was often songs. There's like a whole thing on it. You can find all the research you want on minstrel shows outside of there. But Burt Williams was a black performer who was hired by the Ziegfeld Follies to do, um, vaudeville bits and some minstrelsy bits. And he at some point was the highest paid black performer in America. Um, and he was the third highest paid, uh, performer at the Ziegfeld Follies. Um, And so this was one of his most popular songs. He wrote the song, Burt Williams, wrote the song with Alex Rogers, um, but the song ended up being covered by many, many famous artists like Arthur Collins, Johnny Cash, Carol Burnett, and Nina Simone. So this is Gonzo's like first song, I believe, or at least if you're following the order of (laughs) the podcast, this is Gonzo's first uh, song that we hear him sing, and it's just so sad, um, and I think that that really is indicative of the kind of character change that he ends up going through. So the the build of Gonzo itself, um, if you see in this version, he's very tiny, he's very small, and very sad, and he ends up going through a major change in season two. Uh, Dave Goals, who performs him, mentioned how he kind of wanted to move away from this sad version of Gonzo, and kind of more into the excited, energetic, freak that we all love today and the producers also kind of noticed this too and so the shop rebuilt him and as a matter of fact dave goals he modified and built a iMac for gonzo so that his eye eyelids could go up um and it's actually something that became like a gonzo sp- specialty like whenever gonzo got excited his eyes would go really wide and it was always really funny that was part of dave goals is doing um and it's the same eye mech that they end up using in Big Bird. Essentially, um, there is a trigger attached to the finger inside of where the brain would or the head, the top of the jaw. Um, and you are able to pull that finger down um, and the eyelids close or the eyelids open. I can't necessarily remember which one. I've never gotten to do that. Um, and so, yeah. So, it's that same mech. <laughs> There's also a really funny bit. like Halfway through the song, like Rolf starts like howling because <laughs> Gonzo is so sad. Um, so yeah, that's the end of Nobody. Uh, we then go in to Never Smile at a Crocodile. People might not know, but Never Smile at a Crocodile is a song from the 1951 Disney Peter Pan film. It's actually a motif that you hear the whole movie. Um, whenever Captain Hook senses the crocodile coming or Smee tells him about the crocodile coming, you hear the... <laughs> Mm, 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 mm. that is never smile at a crocodile and uh essentially the song was put on all of the records afterwards and they you know uh, a year later uh put lyrics to it and that's the song that's being performed um right now so, um, the sequence has a couple of interesting things going on. So, f- first of all, Mary Louise, who's this little girl character that they brought onto The Muppet Show, um, she's performed by a number of people. But in this specific iteration, she is performed by Muppet workshop builder and legend, Raleigh Cruson, who has been working with The Muppets since the early 70s on Sesame Street and Muppet Show and has been there ever since. She's still there today, still building for The Henson Shop. It is really... Amazing to know that this master and legend uh, that is Raleigh Crewson is performing this really, this really wonderful number from the first, it's one of my favorite numbers from the first season. If I say that all the time, just let me be. I know that I say that about every other number, but it's just all so good. So Raleigh actually did a bit of performing in the beginning, um, and obviously this number is one of those times. Another really interesting thing is that this number, as I said earlier, was the longest shoot uh Between the first and the second season. The filming overall took seven and a half hours. It went from 10 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. If you watch the documentary of Muppets and Men, which is on YouTube for you to peruse. It's a lovely documentary. I've watched it only a million times. Um, you will see them talk about the uh, Viking number in the Navy, which was the opening number for the Roger Moore episode, which I believe was the last episode to air of The Muppet Show. Jim talks about how, you know, they, they spent a long time filming the Viking number and how actually spending that amount of time was detrimental to their schedule. Um they filmed very quick and very efficiently. I can't remember the exact timeline of when, how many, how long it took for them to shoot a whole episode, but they moved very, very quickly. And so the fact that they spent this long on this number uh, is really telling how difficult it is. And there are some kind of crazy effects in it. Like there's a one sequence where a puppet frog kind of jumps in the air in front of him. The crocodile opens his mouth and two frogs come out and start singing, which is hilarious. And, you know, there's a lot of complicated stuff happening in this. So it makes sense that this kind of took so long. And lastly, this is actually a really great song to practice your lip sync to. Uh, It's not too fast, also has a lot of double and triple syllables so that you can get your skills up to snuff. Uh, so then we get out of, uh, Never Smile at a Crocodile, and we go into the talk spot. The talk spot, um, which is where Kermit gets to kind of talk with the guest star. This time, Sandy and Fozzie and Kermit are all talking. Uh, and the whole sketch revolves around, of course, the banana sketch. And Fozzie and Sandy, you know, Sandy praises, uh, Fozzie for being able to snag Gags Beasley as his writer. And Kermit is annoyed. They talk about how funny the banana sketch is. I mean, they... To the point where, where Sandy, like, knocks Kermit off of the wall. This is such a perfect example of how when a guest star works with the Muppets, it really, really works. This talk spot is so perfect because um, this talk spot kind of makes me forget and allows me to really play into the escapism of what the Muppets are. And she plays off of them so well, and she is so invested in... Um, in the relationship between her and Fozzie or her and Kermit or any of the Muppets. And it's, it's just really, um, magical. Sandy Duncan is, is a really great guest star for that exact reason. We go out of the talk spot and we go into Muppet Newsflash, which <laughs> there's an interesting moment. This is our, the podcast's first time noticing that this is where a guest star appears in the actual Newsflash. This was something that only happened during the first season, but it, it, it feels very sketch comedy. Uh, they often played, you know, different characters. Sandy Duncan plays a woman who is jumping on a hot plate. It's funny but there's something off about it, and I think it's it's why they end up kind of not doing it anymore. But yeah, so it's always an interesting thing, and the, the Muppet newsflashes are, are, are really funny, and I think they also realize that with the newsflash, um, the, the one-liners are best with it. He often says like a crazy headline, and then something happens to the newsman, and he gets hurt. That's usually how quick the sketch goes, and um, it, it works really well in that uh, timing. So we move out of the newsflash and we go into, uh, backstage into Veterinarian's Hospital. This is, this is such great execution of a running gag. The Muppets are the kings of running gags, right? So this whole episode, Kermit doesn't know what a friggin' uh, banana sketch is. He's so fed up. He's so tired. Uh, Piggy even makes fun of him for it and all of these different things, and, the fact that it ends with the banana coming in and saying, "Where is my dressing room? Just don't shove me in the fridge." That, I mean, genius. You can't make that up. That's that's so good. And that is peak Muppet humor. It is absolutely fantastic. It's such a great execution of a joke. Um I hope that years from now when they're really analyzing comedy writing that the Muppets are up there because Jerry Jewel Jerry Jewel is a crown jewel when it comes to comedy writing. He understands writing structure so well for comedy. And it's always funny. The setup always works. The punchline always delivers. And it's it's just really fantastic. so something I haven't mentioned yet is that my girlfriend has never seen an episode of The Muppet Show before she had started dating me. Uh, And unfortunately, now that she's dating me, she has to watch all of them. Um, And so um, we actually uh, thought it's a really cool thing. I have to watch the episode kind of multiple times before I get on the podcast. And so she said, why don't I watch some with you? And maybe I'll have some questions and maybe that'll help. She usually uh, doesn't have questions. She has comments. And this week's comment was, Piggy's eyes are kind of dead. <laughs> <laughs> and I explained to her, yes. Um, and, and it's true. And, you know, I talk about it all the time, how the first season really is just such a testing ground and so many things change in the second season um we start to see a lot of the the character the puppet builds and the tropes and certain aspects of the characters that we end up really recognizing from the movies and stuff like that after uh the first season the second season kind of really plays into that um that was just so funny to me when she said that um they kind of solidify all of the puppets looks around season three and they kind of stay throughout the, throughout the rest of the show. Um, and even the the next few movies, but, um, the only one that really goes through severe changes over the years is Fozzie. Um, in my opinion, and Piggy, no, it's, it's mostly Fozzie. Um, at least I think so. You know, I'm sure there'll be some, some, some Muppet people that are like, nope, (laughs) you're wrong. Um, but I'm not, I'm not, it's fuzzy. We move out of veterinarian's hospital and we go into uh, the final number. Oh my gosh, it's so beautiful. Um, It is try to remember, which is a song from the Fantastics. um, Great show from off Broadway. Really sweet number where Sandy Duncan starts singing the song to Kerman and then all the other Muppets join and sing back up. And it's just again, one of those moments that are just really serene and beautiful and heartwarming and heartfelt i can't wait uh i know i'm giving it away but i can't wait till we get to danny k's episode because if we want to talk about heartwarming and beautiful inchworm oh inchworm is so i could i'm about to get emotional, it's a beautiful rendition, but I'm, I'm gonna try not to, I'm not gonna say anything more, um, if you want to watch that, just go watch Inchworm, it's really, it's really sweet, but, um, wait for the Danny Kay episode, I promise it's worth it. My girlfriend, again, Dorsey, Dorsey's her name, Dorsey brought up an interesting point, it's kind of straying from the show for a second, you know, I'm somebody who really, I love watching things from, the 90s and the 80s and the 70s and even 60s and 50s I really love watching those time periods because I'm always wondering what it was like to live during that time and I'm always wondering what it was like you know especially when I'm watching things from the 50s through the 70s it, it's just it, it boggles my mind sometimes um and and there are going to be people who listen to this podcast that, that were around in the 70s and that were watching the Muppet show live and, and I want to know what that experience was like I want to know the experience of people who you know uh, were around when Jim Henson passed. Like, I'm just so curious about that time period and and the time period meaning any time before I was born. But, you know, my girlfriend said something so interesting about the fact that this is such a beautiful and serene number, but we have no idea what these people were thinking. You know, we have no idea what was going through Sandy Duncan's life or what was happening in her, you know, in her personal life or or if, you know, anything was wrong. That goes for the performers and everything as well. It's something that I actually think is fascinating whenever I, I reread Brian J. Jones' biography on Jim Henson and they talk about Jim Henson and Jane Henson's separation. It's just one of those things that's like, wow, I, I never would have guessed that we're going through all this. And it's such an interesting note to bring up about the facade that performers or performances can put over the actual performers and can actually put over life. And, um, it's interesting that it was try to remember that was that kind of thing for, um, Dorsey, but, but it's so true, you know, who knows what was going on. I often think about, you know, the, the, the horrid things that Judy Garland went through filming Wizard of Oz and her contract with MGM in general. Um, and you just never know, you never know what it took to, to make the things that we love. And it's just fascinating. That was just something that was, that was really, really fascinating for me to kind of consider and think about. So, uh, that brings us to the end of this week's episode of It's Time to Meet the Muppets. Uh, The end of the episode is with uh, a bouquet of bananas. They give Sandy a bouquet of bananas. Kermit is obviously rightfully annoyed. Um, It's a great episode. And I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Okay, so, listen. Guys, I hate to do this again. But the order is changing once again. This is what happened, right? So, when Disney Plus first dropped... I recorded Juliet Prowse by watching the DVD because I was like, obviously, that's going to be the first episode they show because they're going to do it according to DVD order. And I was wrong. The first episode that they put was Rita Moreno because that was the first that aired, right? So then, obviously, the next episode that was going to come was Sandy Duncan because that was the second episode to air. And then they changed it back the order on Disney Plus back to the DVD order. So now I've decided I do not care. I'm just going to go with the... Um, I'm going to go with the DVD order. So that means we have only watched Rita Moreno and Sandy Duncan out of order. We're going to go back and we are going to watch, um, Connie Stevens next. We are going to watch Connie Stevens next. Great episode. Fun time. Some special guest stars come through other than Connie Stevens. So that's going to be fun to watch too. Um, and yeah, that is our episode of it's time to meet. The Muppet. Uh, follow me at Fergsters95. That is F-E-R-G-S-T-E-R-S 95. That is my Twitter, my Instagram, and my TikTok handle. Uh, for more info on this podcast, please visit bpn. FM slash Muppets. We are a proud member of the Broadway Podcast Network. So head over there to uh, check out my podcast and other podcasts. If you want to follow the Instagram of the pod, make sure you head to at meetthemuppets, all lowercase, at Instagram. That is at M-E-E-T-T-H-E-M-U-P-P-E-T-S on Instagram. Uh, If you want to get into some fun Muppety things, some places to check out are... Muppet Wiki, Tough Pigs, The Muppet Mindset. Muppet Central, uh, if you want to get into some cool puppetry podcasts, Muppet-style podcasts, make sure you are listening to Under the Puppet by Grant Baciocco, Below the Frame by Matt Vogel, Puppeteers by Adam Krutinger and Cam Garrity, and of course the Getting Felt Up pod by the one and only Disney Dan Beckham and Nate Beagle. Uh, if you want to get into some pop culture fun, go ahead and head over to the DJ Bob show and Defunct Land. Defunct Land is on YouTube and a podcast. Um, and that's all Enjoy the show Peace Subscribe, rate, review, anything else I don't know, peace, see y'all next week Bye-bye Let's get this show out on the road.